Welcome to Camera Shade Podcast, episode 45. That's right, 45. And today we've got a lot of discussion, Nick, because, well, there's been a shift, a shift to canon. Shift in the force, you might say. Shift in the force, exactly. Play dramatic music. Did you? Exactly. <laughs> there has been a shift, uh, a shift in, uh, in cameras. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's been a shift in cameras. And before we get into that, well, we're going to just discuss what else has happened this week. So what else have you been up to this week? Um, Work-wise, it's been actually quite, quite quiet. Um, however, I've replaced that with, um, so I've been exercising a lot more over the last few weeks and whatnot, doing, you know, weights and stuff like that at home um, more, more than anything else. But I started running about a week and a half ago now and i've been on like four or five five runs now i think in that time yeah shattered (laughs) it's exhausting (laughs) but i am seeing improvement every single time i'm going slightly further and doing that further distance in a quicker time too right and i don't feel pooped when i get home (laughs) that's what lockdown forces you to do (laughs) silly things like running yeah (laughs) Because uh, you know, for those uh, for those listeners who are not based in the UK, uh, you may or you may not know that we are actually still in a in a national lockdown until well, I mean, really until the twelfth of April. Although having said that, schools are going back um, on the eighth of March. Yeah. So you know, as far as as far as we're concerned, we're still going to be locked down for another month and a bit. But uh, at least you know, at least the kids are going to get to school. That's, yeah. That's at least one thing. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting few weeks to see if we can actually do it right this time. But um, we, time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm kind of glad that my kids are going back to school, to be honest. You know, I think they are glad. Yeah. Know. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was talking to some students um, uh, yesterday when I was uh, teaching online. And um, I was surprised that they're teenagers. And I was surprised to hear them say, Nah, don't really want to go back at the minute. I'm quite enjoying this one. <laughs> That's not what you said last time. Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, it's going to be a bit of a culture shock almost. I think, yeah. you know, having to go back to school and everything. But at the same time, I can definitely sense, uh, you know, at least with my two kids who are still at school, um, they're really, you know, they're missing their friends and everything. So, yeah, you know, it's a hard time for them. Um, and... Although they're talking to their friends on social media and everything every day, but it's obviously it's not the same thing as seeing somebody in person. And you can do that for, you know, a set amount of time. But once you go to like what is now, we've been in lockdown now since Christmas, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, or or mid-December or something again, I think. And it's the second time. Well, no, it's the third lockdown already. So I think everybody's a bit tired of the the whole being locked down. I think so. And... They'll. Uh, I think the idea of going back to school for them is going to be far worse than the the reality, right? On this occasion. Oh yeah. Once sure. they're there, they'll go. Oh, great! Can actually see everybody again. Yeah. Yeah. Although um, I think my stepdaughter wasn't thrilled about the fact that she's going to have to wear a mask in class now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So there's just some changes to the way. Yeah. To the way things actually, you know, work at school, but you know. Yeah. That's that. Oh. They'll get over that quite quickly. It's, yeah. yeah, the mask is no big deal for anybody, right? Exactly. I mean, the one thing I'm finding, and this is really since the announcement um, a week or so ago um, over here in the UK, you know, that that uh, 
uh, lockdown is done to open up again, um, I think, you know, people's attitudes have been a lot more positive. That's kind of what I'm finding. Yeah, I'd say that's probably true. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I think perhaps half of that's coming from the fact that, God, this is the end of the third one coming up and that everyone's had enough. Let's, I think people are realizing, let's try and do this right this time. And, you know, if we do it right, actually, it might work out and actually we're going to be all right and we can get back to complete normality by it's still a long way off that complete normality, probably, probably the start of next year in reality, yeah. you know, where, where we're actually going to be. Um, but yeah, I'd say there's probably something to do with it because people have had enough. They're willing to just go the extra mile and do, do the right things. See, that's what everybody thinks. And then there's going to be some like Senegalese, uh, version of the virus. Well, they're worried about the Brazilian variant at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, I've never been too scared of a Brazilian myself, you know. <laughs> Apart from the Brazilian that you get every week. Well, of course, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Let's cut that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> anyway, so, so that's, you know, that's a, yeah, so, I'm finding that, you know, people are more positive and I'm also finding that I'm getting more uh, sort of work inquiries um, in at the moment. So that's, you know, obviously people are sort of waking up to the fact that, yeah. you know, um, things are starting up again. And so, you know, it's, uh, that's good. I mean, at the moment, we obviously we can't really shoot at this point. Um, that's still a few weeks, you know, in the future, but at least, you know, you can start uh, talking to, you know, prospective clients and, um, and start planning projects and stuff. So that's, you know, that's actually been quite positive. I think they're, and, and I think it's those people that are also seeing the positive side of it, that, you know, I'm going to plan for the best case scenario here, that I'm going to be able to get people in to do some, some video and photo work that I need them to do. Mm. Um, what's the worst that's going to happen? I've got to delay them again. Yeah. Let's plan to be plan to be positive, and that's what I'm trying to do as as well. And um, I think it helps. <laughs> it oh, certainly yeah. certainly helps. Um, but yeah, uh, what have you been uh, up to this past past week or so since we uh, met with B Boo Ray and Gary? <laughs> well, I've mainly been watching uh, footage from the uh, the you know the Mars rover Perseverance. I've know, been have you, have I've you seen been it? missing it. No, oh my God. tell me. Right, so. For those viewers and listeners out there who haven't, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, there's some incredible high-res um, film and photo footage that the uh, that NASA has released um, of the Perseverance landing, um, and I, I mean, it's literally the kind of photography and video that we have never seen from another planet. It's it really is mind-bogglingly awesome but but i've watched the martian so i'm assuming that was accurate no well it's <laughs> funny you should say that because when you know I, I went onto the uh the nasa website a few days ago and i had a look they they really release every single shot that's taken by any of the cameras on the rover so there's there's multiple cameras on there you know it's like a landing camera and uh, there's lots of different uh, viewpoints or whatever and they'll shoot, let's say, you know, 100 frames in the space of like a minute or whatever it is. Mm. And they will literally release every single frame. And you can I call, think they're, I mean, they're legally obliged to, aren't they, I believe? Well, I don't know. It's, I just find it really interesting because you can kind of, you know, you control around on their, on their website and just literally look at every single thing. And, you know, you've got like 100 frames. They're all 
very, very similar of the same rock. Mm. Here, you get mm. 100 photos of the same rock. But um, what was really astonishing was um, they had some uh, cameras that were filming kind of up into the parachute uh, during the actual, you know, the final stages of the landing. Um, and to see that in high res was really quite uh, quite something. And then they also had a camera at the bottom of the um, of the lander bit, which was basically filming the ground. So you could see kind of the dust, you know, going up uh, until the, the whole thing That's lands. That's a cool shot. Yeah, it's really, um, and because the quality is so much better than, you know, what we remember from previous Mars missions, it's just really, I mean, you really get like a first class seat on, on a different planet. It's just, you know, I, I don't know. It really fascinates me that we can have that clear picture of another planet. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I know there's, there's been lots of, um, uh, lots of photos that have been, you know, circulating from like previous Mars missions, but this is really another step better. Do you know what I mean? It's so oh. that's, yeah, that's been quite, that's been quite fascinating. And it did like things like they did the, um, they released two versions of the parachute opening. So one is literally at a third, um, of the speed. So you can kind of, you know, so you can kind of see how the whole thing unfolds. It's very cool. Very, very oh, nice. cool. I've got to check it out. Uh, that stuff really interests me, but I've not not really paid too much attention to that the last uh, last week or two when they've been 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 uh, been coming out. It's been one of these things we had because uh, we we have the NASA TV app on on our Apple TV box, mm. and so we've been watching the actual landing live. That's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was like a family affair. It's kind of cool. It's like maybe a little reminiscent of the you know of the moon landing that my yeah. grandparents keep telling me about. You know what I mean? Um, so we're all like huddled around the TV. You, know. you mean those moon landings that didn't happen? <laughs> yes, you may or may not believe <laughs> that they did or didn't happen. I don't know. I, do, you know I think. do you remember that scene in um, Dumb and Dumber where uh, Jim Carrey's character is Lloyd is in the in, in the bar in Aspen and he's leaving because he's been stood up or he thinks he's been stood up. Walks out, sees an old newspaper on the wall of um, the moon landing has no idea that it's actually happened. He just walks out all screaming, yeah, we landed on the moon. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but that sounds good. Sorry. <laughs> I haven't. That's not not one of the movies I have seen. Okay, we need to end here. Go watch it. Come back. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> this may actually be compuls compulsory viewing for later on tonight. Mm -hmm. Who knows? The second one that they did only a few years ago was um, not quite as good, but it was all right. I mean, actually, to be honest, I may have seen Dumb and Dumber, like, uh, back in the, how old is that? Like, back in the 90s or something? Yeah, mid-late like mid 90s, I think. Yeah, so I may have, I probably, I may have seen it, like, back then. I'd be surprised remember. if you haven't. Yeah, I mean, I, def I definitely haven't seen Dumb and Dumber 2, uh, because that was, that was kind of, I think when that came out, I went like, oh, okay, I'm, like, past that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, talking about things to watch, I've been watching The Queen's, uh, the Queen's Gambit. Oh, I that, watched that a while ago. Finished yeah, it. Yeah, everybody's everybody's been talking about it, um, and so finally, I had to get myself to watch it. And I have to say, you know, my chess game has vastly improved over the last couple of days. So. Do, do you know what the King, Queen's Gambit is now? Well, yeah, kind of. But uh, you know, it's inspired me to, as always, when I watch stuff like that, I then get totally obsessed with you know whatever it is that's happening in the movie so in this case you know chess so so 
I really enjoyed the story, and it's only a, is it a six parter? I think something like that. Yeah, it's, seven, it, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's quite short, and so it, it kept me kept me watching. She she was really good in it. The actress, I forget her name now, but she she was excellent in it. And um, but what I really enjoyed about it is, yeah, it's done quite Netflixy as as you can imagine, but I thought the cinematography in it was really good. I really enjoyed it. The lighting was fantastic. Um, and some of the, some of the camera, camera angles were superb. Some of them were just standard Netflix. You know what, you know, what totally distracted me mm. were the, the wallpapers. Oh my God. Like they actually, I mean, uh, you know, uh, it, oh man. I mean, I can't, you know, I sort of seem to remember kind of uh, wallpapers like that from when I was a kid, you know, you go around yeah, like your grandparents place or something. But man, I totally forgotten that people used to have that kind of stuff on their walls. Is that this like the shocking. textured wallpaper? Yeah, or the really you know, these, high, highly patterned stuff. Yeah, these like really, really highly patterned, and everything's coordinated. You know, the the lampshades have the same pattern as the wallpaper, and you always think like it's camouflaging itself into the background. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then people are wearing. And the thing is, of course, you know, people were wearing clothes like dresses and whatever that were also highly patterned. So you've got this, this, this striking pattern on the on a wall and then somebody walks in and it's like an offensive offensive attack on your eyes <laughs> you know it's just like pattern yeah. clash everywhere yeah but it's cool i mean it's you know obviously um you know sign of the times but that was uh, i got so distracted by the wallpapers it was, it was unreal <laughs> <At one point. laughs> of all the things to get distracted by wallpaper love it i know i, I usually get distracted by the color grading but uh, which also was very good in this yeah i enjoyed it it was it was pleasing to to look at as a yeah. as a program you know and it wasn't uh, overdone it well it was overdone but in a really pleasing way um, and it, wor- it really worked for me yeah, apparently they were originally planning to uh, to turn this into a feature film, and then decided to actually expand it into a like seven parter yeah. miniseries. I heard that. I think maybe it was one of the writers or directors. There was a, I think there was an extra episode which was kind of a little bit BTS and yeah. showed some of that at the end of it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's good though. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good show. It. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you know, for those people who haven't, I mean, maybe for those people who are not in a lockdown type of situation, actually have a life, <laughs> you, know, you may not have seen it. But, uh, you know, so if you haven't, then uh, you know, go ahead and uh, watch that. It's highly recommended. Yeah. That's our, our TV recommendation for the week. We should have that every week. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Done. Does that tell you what? <laughs> I have another I have another TV recommendation, another Netflix recommendation, and I just literally just started watching it yesterday. And that's I think it's called like The Art of the Samurai or something like that. I, I saw the poster for it, if you like, at the top being advertised, but I, I have I've not watched it yet. Right. So it's what it is, it's basically a documentary. It's actually a documentary about the history of the samurai and to kind of you know, the the like uh, feudal wars in Japan in the like sixteenth century. Yeah. Till the 18th century, or whatever. Um, it's really interesting because because it's the the type of history that typically we don't like. We over here in the West, in the Western world, don't really know very much about. Mm. And it's yeah, it was uh, it was quite sort of mesmerizing, actually. I have to say. So uh, I've only 
I'm only one episode in, so, you know, what do I know? But actually, so far, I'm really quite enjoying it. Oh, that's cool. Definitely yeah, show. I don't know a lot about that. Um, how, how long is the series? Uh, actually, I don't know. Okay. That'd be something to check out on Netflix, but it's definitely more than one episode. <laughs> because, oh, that's another episode, so, you know. Nice. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's good, though. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite well done, and it's really... It's very interesting. Again, if, if you're sort of remotely uh, interested in, in that era, you know, um, then there's definitely a lot of really, really awesome information in there. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice, nice, It kind of, nice. it probably, it kind of, it ties in with uh, Kara and me watching The Karate Kid the week before. <laughs> I think that's where that came from. Love that series. <laughs> <laughs> well, not the series. We were watching uh, the original, you know, the movie, like the 90s. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Movie. No, so I'm... I'm yeah, I meant the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, what was it? Ralph Macchio and Mr. Miyagi. So. I've forgotten his name. That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember the name of the actor. Oh, that's terrible. I should know that. <gasps> well, I'll flash it up on screen. <laughs> or if you're listening to this, uh, then, you know, get in touch and let us know. Of course, you can always uh, send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Or send us an email at cameraschakepodcast at gmail.com. So we have recently discovered that we have a listener in Puerto Rico. So if you are in Puerto Rico whilst you're listening to the show, or in fact, if you're anywhere else in the world, you could be in the UK or, I mean, we know we have listeners in uh, in the United States and in, in Europe and um, and in Australia. So no matter where you are, Give us a bell. Um, just send us a, send us an email. Send us a message. Get in touch. It's always super awesome to know who you are and where you are and what you're up to when you're listening to this podcast. And breaking news: we have a new website. So uh, you know, if you are roaming the World Wide Web, uh, make sure you drop in. Uh, it's www.camerashakepodcast.com. Um, and, uh, and whilst you're there, you might as well just uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Um, that'd be, again, that'd be super awesome. We're not going to bombard you with lots of emails every day, clearly, because we're nice. So what we are going to do is we're going to give you an insight and some behind the scenes stuff, or, you know, we'll let you know what's happening, what's coming up. So if you, you know, want to stay in touch, then that would be a great thing to do. So remember, www.cameraschakepodcast.com, and it'd be great to see you there. So... That being said, now that we've got that out of the way, what else is new? Um, there was just one other, because we're talking about films, it just reminded me that um, I watched one other film and I watched it with this, the intention of looking at how it was filmed and things like that, right? And that mm-hmm. was uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Have you ever no, seen it? I haven't, no. That's one of the things that I, that's, that is actually on my watch list, but I haven't seen it, it yet. As a story, it's it's okay. It's all right. It's mm. pretty fun to watch. It's got quite quite a cast in it as well. A lot of them play like bit parts and whatnot, as you can um, uh, as they as they do. Um, but I watched it with the intention of there. There were three main reasons I, I wanted to look at it, and one was the different aspect ratios that um, they use throughout the film. So present day, they're using, I think they were using medium format. Um, and then they, they go to like 16.9 and then they go to four by three or whatever, for, depending on the year. Um, uh, the other thing was the color grading on it. It's really magenta. 
but right. it adds to the aesthetic of the whole film and the way it's done and the style of the hotel, um, mm-hmm. things like that. And the third one was the general kind of um, uh, way it was shot. So they do lots of um, sort of slow dolly zooms and moving from side, having the character come into into frame, lots mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. You know, there's one particular scene where a guy sat in the, in the hotel lobby and, you know, you see him from the side, the other side, the back, then you see him from the front mm-hmm. and it's, you know, fairly fast moving, things like that. And there's, there's a load of, load of little bits like that that are worth watching and paying attention to, to just pick up and just enjoy what they've done. Is it overdone? Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. But to learn and to see other ways of doing things, it's well worth it. Well, well worth it. I, there's something about the whole film that reminded me a little bit of Sin City. Okay. I can't put my finger on exactly why, but it did remind me a little bit of Sin City. You remember that film with Bruce Willis and yeah. um, it was all in black and white apart from the odd bit of colour. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, odd. But um, yeah, there's just little bits of the way it was filmed that, that reminded me of it. It was well, well, worth, well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. You're talking about different formats. Have you have you seen Wonder Vision yet on Disney Plus? No, that's very interesting. Because um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and uh, I know he's a massive Marvel fan, and I'm like you know, I, you know, if you've seen Wonder Vision, he goes like, um, "No, I had I like I tried two episodes, and it was just too weird. It was like can't laughter and black and white, and what is that all about?" And I just couldn't get into it. And I'm like, mm. right, you got to stick with it, because what happens is. It's like a really slow build. And every episode is filmed in the style of a classic TV show. So it starts literally like with a show from the 50s and it moves to the late 50s and the 60s. And every episode is filmed in a new kind of style. Okay. You know, and um, and so it will eventually get to the full-on Marvel blockbuster look that we're used to from the you know, from the movies, but there's a reason I'm not going to give away the plot, but there's a reason why it starts like that. And then it kind of builds forward. It's, it's very interesting. It's a bit like, what's that Jim Carrey movie where he lives in this artificial world? Truman show. Yeah. Truman show. That's right. So it's a bit like the Truman show. That's all I'm going to say, but it's super interesting. But literally my wife and I were in there, like throughout the first three episodes or something like, what is this? Like, why is this weird? <laughs> you know, I'm and, it's an inter- and it's an interesting thing. Like in episode, I think episode two or three or something, there's the first object in color pops up. It's something falls down from the sky and it's the only thing that's in color. So it's a bit of a, like, you know, one of those like cheesy 1990s, like color pop, yeah. um, you know, uh, picture sort of thing. And then, then you, then you start to catch on that, not everything is what it seems. Mm-hmm. And literally nothing is what it seems, as you'll find out later later down the series. So it gets really quite um, addictive after a while. But it's a really slow start, and I can see how many people have dropped out uh, throughout the first two episodes because it's literally, you know, and the fir- like the first two episodes or something, or, or three episodes, are actually in four by three. Okay. So, you know, so you kind of think, what is, like, what is happening? It's literally you no know, the the cheesy sets, like yeah. the indoors kind of house sets, and the like, you know, uh, the canned laughter and all the like. It's just weird. I'm sold. 
Oh, I want, I'll definitely want to watch that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's, it's much better than you initially think it's going to be. So it's, it's very clever. And I haven't seen a TV show that has used these devices in that way. You know, um, it's definitely a novel way of, of doing things. So, yeah, very cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, I'll definitely watch. I, I don't have Disney Plus, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'll find a way. So, now, the big elephant in the room is the shift. I've been running, man. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big elephant in the room. <laughs> Um, I'm wearing a large size t-shirt. That is like, you know, that's for me, that's, that's like, I've got to get out there and run, man. That's not cool. <laughs> I'm a medium kind of guy, man. Come on. <laughs> so, um, this is only going to be large before I wash it for the first time, clearly. So, you know, that looks about the right size, but yeah, yeah, unfortunately uh, it does. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Skinny me. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about fat Gary. Last week. <laughs> In my case, it's like the other way around. It was like skinny K. That's that's what was happening a few years oh, ago. Oh nice. Now, let's talk about let's talk about cameras for a change. Because I think we should probably um at least, you know, at least sort of hit on some photography here. Mm. Go on then. Yeah. So um I yeah, I've just I've switched. I've I've moved system completely. Um, so previously I was shooting on the, um, Panasonic, uh, GH5S for video and, uh, Nikon for stills decided that I wanted to consolidate, so to speak, um, and move to one manufacturer completely so I can mm. ultimately, you know, share lenses as well and, uh, have some, you know, a bit of a step up. So... I have gone and got the Canon C70, which is what I'm filming on right now for video, and the R6 for stills, which is, they're both stunning. Absolutely stunning cameras, man. I, you know, there, there's no other word that you can use other than mm. stunning. You know, uh, I guess the st let's just talk about the R6 for a second for stills. The haven't had it long, so I've not really put it for its paces. I don't even think I've shot any video on it yet. Mm. So I can't really comment too much on that. I've, you know, not really been able to go out too much, but I've done some kind of studio shots as well and just some random snaps, if you like, mm. too. And I sent you a quick snap that I took of one of my cats. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Last week or whenever it was. And said, just have a guess of what the what I say that was at. Mm. All right. I sent the same photo to a, another friend of mine and asked him the same question. Mm. And do you remember what you said? Actually, I can't remember. It, you know, it was, you know, in the lows, you know, two, three, four hundred, something yeah. like that. A friend of mine guessed a similar kind of range, mm. right? But the photo that I showed you was actually shot at 10,000 ISO. Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing those. And then you sent some um, at, at a much higher ISO even after that, like 25,000 or whatever else. And the, I have to say, like the noise the noise performance on that. 25,600 it was, I think it was. Yeah. And yeah, all right, you can see the noise in that, but it's still perfectly usable. You might want to add a little bit of noise reduction on it mm. in post, but it was still well usable. But even without, I mean, it's, you know, 
if you compare that to to a lot of other cameras, it's just yeah, yeah it really is um, remarkable. Yeah, what a yeah. wonderful piece of kit. The sensor they're using it is just stunning. So it's just, it's only I, I say only that's that's very unfair. Um, you know, it was a co- it was a conscious decision to go for the R six over the R five. Um, and there were two reasons primarily for that. One was, um, cost, you know, the R5, uh, I don't have a number of top of my head, but I think it's in the four and a half thousand pound range, 4,000 pound range. And this is like two and a half thousand pounds for the, the body. So significant. Um, it has, I think the R5 has a, I think 35 megapixel sensor give or take somewhere in that region it's a lot more maybe more i I forget Mm. it doesn't doesn't really matter but this only has a 20 Mm. right only (laughs) said it again but that means it's low light performance is significantly better and Mm. it is better the r5 is still very good but this is better from what i can tell you know from looking at images done on the r5 versus what i've taken myself uh on on this um yeah you can't crop in as much you know it does drastically reduce your resolution um but am i printing a lot no is it generally going online yes (laughs) so does it really matter no (laughs) (laughs) yeah but the fact is what it's also making me do is up my game on framing in the first place and that can't be a bad yeah. thing. Yeah, it's also. I mean, I think it's you know, it's generally a misconception. I think uh, amongst um, amongst many people to think that you know more megapixels have to be better. But it really is a matter of um, what it is that you're shooting. You know, I think if you're uh, if you're like a lifestyle event photographer, for example, or something like that, you know, and uh, or like a wedding photographer even, and it makes sense for you to crop into the image because, you know, you may take a shot of the dance floor and there's some people you want to crop out. And then, of course, having, you know, having more megapixels does make sense because you're not losing as much yeah. resolution. You know, if you're, if you're generally shooting wider um, and you're cropping in, it makes, it makes perfect sense. But, you know, if you're, if you're shooting concerts, for example, or if you're like, you know, relying on low light performance, for example, or... You know, if you're doing stuff where you don't necessarily crop in at all, then it you know it virtually almost makes no difference. There are lots of advantages also, I think, of um, of keeping the you know the megapixels in check, as it were, and that's you know file size and uh, storage medium and all the rest of it. And of course, your computer has to be able to to work with those with those files and so on. Um, and it's not necessarily so much of a problem nowadays if you compare like a, a 20 megapixel with a 35 megapixel camera. But once you're talking about like, you know, um, some medium format cameras that are like 102, you know, then you're getting into that territory where, okay, now it's starting to have an effect on other things yeah. other than just, you know, your camera. So, so yeah, I don't necessarily think 20 megapixels is so much of an issue. I remember though when we when Canon first brought out the R6 and the R5. I remember we did an episode. This goes. This probably is like you know, like whatever twenty episodes ago. Oh yeah, thirty episodes ago, whatever. Uh, where we just couldn't really understand why Canon would bring out a twenty megapixel camera. Do you remember that? I do. 
at the, at the very beginning, yeah. Um, but it just goes to show, A, what do we know? <laughs> you know and, and B, when it really comes down to, uh, you know, I think when you, when, you, when you look at exactly what you need the tool for, this is ultimately what it boils down to, yeah. then, uh, then that could become an important decision. And I yeah. think, you know. So you, what really, really swayed it was that cost difference. It's almost the R five is almost twice the price for a handful of megapixels. Mm. That just did not seem worth it to me. I'd rather spend that additional money and get an extra lens. Yeah, you know, and so that's what I ended up doing. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. exactly what I did. It seemed it just seemed crazy to me. Um, it didn't really, it it just didn't make sense um, for for what I was doing. And now I have my hands on it. It was definitely the right decision. Absolutely. I love this camera already and I've hardly shot with it. You know, hardly shot with it. Absolutely love it. Everything works exactly how I want it to work. It performs how exactly how I want it to perform. Hmm. Um, the autofocus is just, <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what to be. say about it. It's just what? wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So it's got eye, uh, you know, human eye and uh, animal eye detection on it you know i've only used it on cats wandering around the house quickly and just taking them quick down at 2.8 as well so quick quickly shooting shooting them grabbing onto it immediately um when i've done i've done some a lot of self-portraits recently to keep me occupied and it's grabs my eye instantly it doesn't doesn't even think twice about it you know it's and super quick super quick that's like, you know, coming from other systems, that is such an advantage. Yeah. You know, in so many different ways. I mean, you know, if you think about what we're doing now, as opposed to what we what we used to do pre-pandemic, you know, now if we're filming ourselves because we're locked in the house, you know, we're, we're doing selfie challenges, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, having a camera that can just lock onto your eye and and hit hit focus, you know, even if it's nine times out of 10, that'll be fine. Yeah. So when we were shooting the, uh, the the selfie challenge with Ivan, that's I think that's when I really realized, you know, having a really decent like eye focus auto system or something um, on my camera, that would have been, you know, such a saving grace. Yeah. Oh God. Of the maybe 150 shots I've actually taken now yeah. with it in that that kind of scenario, not one missed focus. Mm. Not one. Yeah, that's huge. You know, that's just, oh, just <laughs> at the end of the day, does that, does that make it, you know, better? Can another camera still capture, get focused? Of course it can. Of course it can. Mm. But all, all that's doing is it's just making my life a little bit easier. I don't have to wonder whether, oh God, that pose was perfect. It's just missed focus though. Damn. That's not going to do it. So you, yeah. you know, you're just going to get those extra few shots that you you may not have got got previously. Yeah. I mean, focus is, is such a um, like it's a real annoyance, especially when you you know, especially in video as well. That's the other thing. Like when you're filming yourself, um, you see that on a lot of YouTube videos, for example, when um, you know when somebody moves closer to the camera and then moves back again, uh, if the focus really stays constant, it that's really the sign of a really good. Yeah. Um, eye detection or, or dual pixel 
autofocus system. Not many companies have really locked that down 100% like Canon have. I think Canon are definitely sort of market leading when it comes to um, when it comes to autofocus and face detection, all that kind of stuff. Um, Fuji is with the X-T4, I think they're doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikon are releasing an update, like a firmware update for the Z6 or Z7 II or whatever it is. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what's... Uh, apparently, there's some improvement to the eye focus um, in there, but what that's going to look like, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? And, you know, I don't I, I don't know the insides of cameras particularly well. You know, I don't know whether just a firmware update is sufficient to bring good quality autofocus or whether actually there is something physical which will actually make it better, whether it's the processor or, or what. Well, um, they did improve it. I think with the, the current uh, firmware, there's already an improvement over over when, over the original version of the firmware when the camera was first released and it did make um it did make a it did have an impact on on the uh, the eye detection. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far you can push that without making like physical changes, so that's you know no idea. Yeah. But you yeah. know what's funny is I recently, actually only last week or something, I read an article uh, from the nineteen I don't know even know from the nineteen eighties or whatever it was. Um and it was it was an article about at the time of course a film camera, I think it was a Nikon F whatever it was. Um, and it was the first Nikon camera with autofocus. So it's just like we're talking about, you know, how accurate eye focus is or whatever. Back then, you got to remember that, you know, previous to that, people were focusing manually. And then, every, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, autofocus, the camera does autofocusing for you. Whoa. <laughs> you know, and we're like, so it's it's kind of funny when you really think about it. Of course, when you take it back, back to basics, then you think like, yeah, I mean, back in the day, you know, they used to focus manually and it wasn't a yeah. problem either <laughs> you know so yeah man um, and, and, and that's it you know it's you know uh, i'll say more about it when i uh, about the autofocus in particular when i get out uh out and about and mm. shoot things like that with you know more people moving and you know perhaps some animals but that's not generally my thing anyway but um you know, I'll, I'll I'll update further on that um, as as it comes as it comes. So, I like I say, I haven't used the video on it yet, hmm. so I don't really want to comment on it. You know, it does four K sixty. Um, it does have similar overheating issues um, as the R five. Um, I decided as a as, as a secondary video camera, I decided that that wasn't an issue. And the fact that I could get 4, 6, 4K 60 for 50 minutes, I think it does, before it might have an issue, I decided that was fine. There's no issue in um, 1080. It just doesn't, there's no problem. It just keeps going and going and going. Um, you know, so as a secondary video camera, that was perfect for me. I didn't see it. You know, issue. what interests me really is um, because previously you've been using the, the Panasonic Lumix uh, GH5S for video specifically. And, you know, bearing in mind, we're talking about 20 megapixels um, on the uh, on the Canon R6, but the, the GH5S had, what, 12 megapixels or something, right? Uh, right? Yeah. 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 So when it comes to video, for instance, it's really the whole megapixel thing is is already non-starter because well we'll get onto this in a second but the c70 only has like yeah. eight or nine 
Yeah, exactly. So the megapixel wall really is is a lot more irrelevant when it comes to video than it than it comes to when it comes to In, photo. And, and the but, reality is, I think the lower the megapixel count on a, when you're looking at video, definitely the better because the, because you really want your video to be able to do low light performance very well. Well, and the reason why that is, in a nutshell, in a very simple explanation, is because um, on the actual sensor, if you have um, a, a lower amount of pixels on the sensor, that means each pixel is a little bit bigger, and therefore it's more responsive to light. And so your camera will perform better yeah. in low light situations. So again, high megapixel accounts will not necessarily be an advantage, depending on what it is that you're shooting. I mean, I, I mm -hmm. don't think you'd want to you want to shoot a concert with a hundred megapixel camera at this point. Technology moves on, and in ten years from now, it might be different. But that's that's where we are anyway. But you know what would be interesting, actually, would be to see how the R6 compares to the GH5S in terms of video, because that Panasonic camera was crisp. Yeah, it was. When it comes the to video, video. It yeah, it, the video performance was really, really, really exceptionally good. The, 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 what came out of it was great. Um, it's real down downside was um uh is, is is the autofocus it was rubbish mm -hmm. and even though it was touted as and i saw lots of examples as well before settling on that on that camera that its low light performance was great in reality it wasn't mm. um it was it was good it was okay but it wasn't as good as i was anticipating it to be mm. but when you had the conditions right the picture was really good, really yeah. too sharp, probably, but still really good. I think the quality that came out of that, have you seen footage of the R5 doing um, 4K high quality, I think they call it, where it's actually shooting at 8K down oh, right. sample to 4K yeah. in, in body. It was closer to that on occasion. It's kind of somewhere in between regular 4K on the, on on these cameras and that uh, 4K high quality, it was kind of in in the middle. Yeah. Um, so the quality was great, but the autofocus was just shocking. Um, it didn't do 4K 120, only did 1080 120, and that 120 was also without audio. Hmm. Um, that's, which you may or may not want, but on occasion you might want that. So it's I'd rather it be able to do it than not, which the hmm. C70 can. Um, and you know, as, as a hybrid camera, which it still was, the stills were just awful out of it. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, as far as the video performance is concerned, I'd really like to see a comparison between the GH5S and, uh, you know, and see how that compares to the R6, because in my mind, the C70, and this is for really for those listeners who are not familiar with uh, Canon's cinema range. Um, this, the um, the C70 is part of, of the cinema camera range. So these are cameras that are specifically built for video. Yeah. Um, really, when we, don't, when we talk about um, the C series uh, with Canon, like the C70, or the C100, the C200, and 300, and so on, we don't we don't really talk about stills performance with these cameras. It's not they're not really stills cameras. Although I mean, of course, you can take a still photo with them, but that's not that's really not what they're designed for. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to comparing the C70 to the R6, it's, of course, the video capabilities mm -hmm. that are really the uh, the focus of a comparison yeah. like that. And so in that respect, I, I kind of almost feel like comparing the C70 
to the GH5S, it's almost like unfair. Because right from you know right from the outset, it, you can already see how it's just going to be. Yeah, maybe what we'll do. Well, we're not going to have to shoot new footage with the GH5S because it's already gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've already flocked it, it. It's gone. <laughs> but uh, what well, I'll tell you what we'll do, just so we've got similar conditions, is right. um, next time we're able to shoot an episode in person, we'll shoot a quick segment on the C70, a quick se- segment on the R6. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same same front-on position that we usually do. Yeah. And then we'll use footage that we've previously taken on the GH5S yeah. in that situation as well. Just to see, they're all going to have different lenses on them and, and whatnot, and that does make a difference. Yeah. But we'll, we'll keep everything as consistent as we possibly can, just as a, not a technical experiment, but just yeah. a quick glance as to what they really, really look yeah. like, right? I mean, the other, the other advantage, of course, now that you've, completely changed the can is is, like you said earlier is the fact that you can um, interchange the lenses because uh, both both the c70 and tr6 are now on canon's rf mount that's right so so um they're all on the you know the mirrorless lenses basically which is which is fantastic because that's the best glass available yeah um at the moment it's expensive but you know it is so there's always the thing you know when you're like almost like i call it a hybrid shooter you know when you're shooting two different systems at the same time that's that's always the gripe, isn't it? That you can't really, you know, you might have some really good glass that only worked, like let's say on your Nikon beforehand, that you weren't able to use on on the Panasonic and and vice versa. So that's yeah. you know, that's gotta be like a like, I'm guessing that's like a, almost like it's like one weight over your shoulder. It's the fact that you can use the same glass. Well, I think it is, and you you know, and the, the, that does make a difference um to be able to do that. And so what I've actually what I've actually done and I won't go into detail because there was issues with shipping and, you know, <laughs> so, so the, the glass that I've got with it so far is the RF um, 15 to 35. Hmm. I had ordered the RF um, 24 to 70 as well, but there was all sorts of issues going on related to Brexit and COVID yeah. and all of that. It never got here. Um so I decided, you know what, I, I gave myself a little rethink at that point for, you know what, that's, it's really expensive. I mean, it's a really expensive piece of glass, that really expensive. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go for the, the EF Sigma 24 to 70 and mm-hmm. the EF um, Tamron 90 mil macro with the EF to RF adapter, the yeah. standard one for the minute. And all of that cost less than that one um, 24 to 70 RF lens. Yeah, and do you know the thing, the thing, we've talked about this before, I think, I'm sure we've we've mentioned this, um, or we've talked about this with like, with a variety of different guests in the past, but the truth of it is, you know, especially when you look at like 2.8 glass, like, you know, this, this stereotypical like 24 to 70, 70 to 200, you know, 2.8 kind of glass. I think the reality is, you know, we think of it as as being like the pro glass um, with the best optics in it and all the rest of it. Um, and then usually companies like Canon or Nikon always make like an F4 kind of version, which mm. is a little bit cheaper. And the thing is, you know, when you really think about it, like these lenses, the Z-Line for, for Nikon or the new, um, you know, RF lenses for Canon, they are so good that you got to really think, well, how often do I really shoot at 2.8? Like virtually almost never. 
actually, you know, if you're doing headshots, for example, you don't shoot at, at 2.8, you shoot at 4.5 or at you know, 5.6 or whatever. You, know, you don't shoot at 2.8 because the second, you know, somebody moves an, uh, an eyelid or something, everything's out of focus. It's just, you know... Not with this autofocus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also, you know, but the reality is, of course, when, when it comes to headshots, you know, if you, if you shoot them really super, super shallow, um, then, you know, very often what happens is you've got the tip of the nose that's out of focus when the eyeball is in focus. And you don't yeah. really want that most of the time. You know, yeah. 90, 99% of the time when you're shooting for a commercial client, for instance, that's not what you want. Um, you know, you want some fall off maybe towards the back of the head or something, but that's different from like, you don't, you know, you don't have to shoot that at, you know, 1.2 or some, you know, something like that. So the reality is actually that that you you probably very rarely ever actually, actually shoot at 2.8. So then the question is, is that worth the extra investment into a, into a lens that's maybe a thousand pounds more expensive? And from a business perspective, you really just break it down. You think like, okay, well, I'm running a business here. Is it worth me spending a thousand pounds out of my business earnings on a lens on on a, on a lens that I'd probably only use once in the blue moon? For that particular capacity, and, you know, you very quickly arrive at the point where you think, like, well, actually, I can run my business quite happily with the cheaper lens. It's going to have virtually no impact on the quality of uh, of the photography that I deliver. Bearing in mind when you're doing headshots and they go onto some website, you know, the resolution on those. Yeah. You know, anybody who's ever shot headshots for like uh, email signatures will know that. You know, you don't need the greatest gear in the world to create an image that's 100 by 100 pixels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So uh, it's always that kind of reality check yeah. Um, yeah. on there. Um, so, yeah, so interchangeable lenses. That's really cool. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a nice touch. And, you know, again, time will tell whether that really makes a, has a huge benefit. Um, I think it will, though. I think it will, um, but you know, I'll, I'll again I'll, on all of this stuff. I'll reserve judgment on everything that I'm saying a little bit until I've really got it out there to to use into into proper use. Um, but early signs are stunning. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we do um, is is sort of you know multiple camera uh, kind of stuff, and of course that's that's got to be an advantage when you have. I mean, I'm guessing, and this is again, you know, once you'll have to have some time to actually play with with them and, and uh, compare them properly but i'm guessing you know having you know two log files to edit that come from similar sensors or similar cameras yeah that's you know to match that in post it's just going to be so much less of a of a headache so it's yeah it's certainly going to be helpful um you know it's uh I, I forget which log is on the r6 now i think it's c i think it's c log one I think it's C log one. The C seventy does C log one, two, and three, um, plus regular kind of Rec seven hundred nine and whatnot. Um, uh, I'm generally shooting on log two um, on the C seventy, which has slightly more dynamic range at its um, base base ISO. Um, not that I shoot the base ISO, which is eight hundred on that. Um, so this this was a little bit of a learning experience for me and. It never really clicked as well as it had with this, and I don't really know why. Is you hear base ISO all the time, but when it relates to video in particular, or, or cameras that they're touting base ISO for video, 
is that if it has, you know, like the GH5S had a base ISO of 400 and, you know, I'm not going to get into the dual sensor thing, uh, but that on its lower setting, it was on, it was 400 and the C70 is 800. There's a little bit of a misconception at times that that will produce the lowest noise. That's not what it means at all <laughs> that I've in practice really seen. It's, that's where the most dynamic range is. So the C70, I think, will give you 16 stops of dynamic range at that point. Mm. Your lower ISO will still give you less noise, but will reduce the amount of dynamic range that you actually have. Okay. And it will. I think the lower you go, you have more dynamic range in the highlights and less in the shadows. Mm -hmm. And the higher you go, I think it stretches the other way. Th that may be completely opposite. I, I'm just, just touting out information as a bit of an example more than anything else. But that's really what it means. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and, and I had known that previously, but it really only clicked when getting these and really delving into C-Log properly, really understanding the best way to shoot. Generally, generally you want to overexpose in, um, in C-Log. And I'm finding about a stop is working very well for me at the moment. Anything over a stop, um, I'll, the highlights will start to go. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Um, but it, it's just interesting. It's, do your research is what I'm saying is understand these bits and pieces so that you're not trying to use the camera in a way that isn't intended to. So if you think you're going to get your lowest noise at 800 on the C70, you're not. You're going to get that down as 100 still or 200. Um, I can't remember how low that goes right now. Um, like right now, this is being shot at 400 um, because it makes sense because I've got the way I've got the lights set up and whatnot. It mm. works at that for me. Um, this is actually, I think this is at 2.8. Yeah, this is, at, I'm shooting at 2.8 for me, mm. um, but I'm not that far away either. Um, yeah. Probably... I don't know, meter and a half away from the lens at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure where I was going with that at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop but, rambling. So that's, I mean, we can talk about dynamic range for a second, because see, the thing about, for just for those um, who maybe not that familiar with um, with Canon's range of of cinema cameras, so the C70 is basically a camera that's com that's completely, utterly, and totally built for video. And so it has a number of features that are very different from stills cameras. Like, for instance, the one thing that, that you told me the other day, actually, which I just, uh, I just couldn't remember, was the fact that it has built-in ND filters. Oh, they are the most exciting. If you take the lens off and change the yeah. ND filter on it and watch it happen, it, it, yeah. it is the most exciting thing to watch happen. Yeah. I mean, to have that built into a camera is just, that's just a thing of beauty. Because typically, you know, what we would would have done in the past, uh, you know, filming with DSLRs, you know, or or, the, or mirrorless cameras was, you know, to have a, an ND filter on the lens, like yep. a, a variable ND filter. And so an ND filter, for those of you who don't know, is basically like sunglasses for a camera um, or for a lens. So you can you can twist the, the filter and you can increase or decrease the amount of, I don't know, sun shading, if you want, that, that you can get. So you can make your sunglasses stronger or less strong, um, depending on what the lighting conditions are. And that's all well and good. But just imagine if you had that built into your camera, so you yeah. wouldn't even have to worry about 
having another piece of glass on your nose. That's a, I think that's a really, that's a really neat advantage. Absolutely. And it's got up to t uh, 10 stops of ND filters in there in yeah. two stop increments. And generally the dynamic range uh, with the C70 is massive. It's like 16 stops. I think I've read. Uh, yeah, at its base ISO. Yeah, 800. Yeah, yeah it's 16 stops. So and 16 that, stops is a lot of light. I mean, the, the range is, that's massive. Yeah, it reduces, I think, down to, again, just forgive me if this is this is wrong. It's just off the top of my head. I think down to maybe 14 or 15, uh, the lower ISO and higher ISOs. Yeah. Um, I forget exactly now, but it does reduce, but not enough to warrant it being an issue in any way, you know? Mm. It's still considerably, uh, considerably better than than anything that I'm shooting with oh, yeah. <laughs> at the moment. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's um, there's an argument that actually with what we're doing right now, there's no need to shoot in C log at all. I could just shoot in Rec. Seven O Nine. And what's really the coolest thing that I've come across so far on this is that provided I've exposed correctly on it, and I bring it into Premiere, and I just add a conversion like to Seven O Nine straight off the bat. Mm. I don't have to do any color correction at all. No correction. Mm. Grade is different, but correction, yeah. nothing. It's spot on. There is nothing I would change about it from a correction yeah. perspective. That won't well, always be the case. So this is an interesting thing because we talked about this um, last week. Um, I've over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing some, I've been shooting some videos at home, and they're just quick and easy little very short uh, little videos and I kind of at the time I thought you know they're so quick and easy if I can get the whole process down to like minimal effort um, then I can crank out quite a few of those you know in in each session um, and so I decided to try and shoot those on my Fuji X100F mm. mm -hmm. um, using one of the one of the Fuji built-in color profiles and what's actually happening is you know, bringing that into post, the amount of work I have to do afterwards is an absolute minimum because the files look so good right out of the camera. And of course, if you wanted to grade it in any very particular way, then you wouldn't have the flexibility as if, you know, compared to like shooting in log or shooting even, even with a flat profile. Um, but just as a quick video that actually looks really good with, with minimal post-production requirements and stuff, it really does the trick. And the X100F is by no means a video camera. You know, this will only work as long as that's on a tripod and, you know, you can barely yeah. reach the record button sort of thing. So there's, yeah, lots of disadvantages. But when it comes to actually just grabbing the file, putting it on a computer, cutting the whole thing, and then literally being done with color corrections in, in 10 seconds flat, if anything, it's, you know, it's a brilliant method. There's also something that I know that, you know, people always talk about Fuji colors and I'm finding myself getting drawn to that more and more. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they know what they're doing, don't they? <laughs> it, it's a particular look. Yeah. It is a particular lot. It's by no means neutral by any stretch of the imagination. No. You know, what, what's coming out of that is relatively, relatively neutral. It's, you know, Stick on the conversion light if you're shooting in, in log or straight mm. from the Rec. 79 shooting without going through log. And you look at it and you think, you know what? That's exactly what I was, was there. That's exactly mm. what I saw. Whereas some of the Fuji colors, 
they they have uh, they have a look about them like they've got a slight you can imagine it a bit like they've got a slight grade over them already in a really pleasing way um i love them i I think it looks fantastic um but it does have that look it's not like you can go yeah it's not quite how it looked but i love how this looks (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, that's just something, um, especially with the skin tones. I mean, Canon is very well known for like producing really uh, pleasing, you know, skin tones. Um, as opposed to Nikon files, I always find that's the one disadvantage I find with uh, with Nikon video files is that I'm always there's always there's, there's something not quite right with the with the yeah. skin tones usually, and that needs a little bit of correcting. One thing um, I'm, I'm noticing on on that is the um, on the C70 is that there is a a, a shift inside towards magenta. It's not a lot, but it's okay. there, and it's it is noticed. I can notice it anyway. So mm. that I I don't know whether that is something that has that that helps skin tones, um, just because it's got that slight slight edge towards magenta. Um, uh, you know, I white balance every time anyway, but it definitely has a, a an edge towards magenta. Yeah, that's a funny thing because um, Nikon files tend to go towards the green. So does Sony. Bit. Yeah, and the, the thing the thing there is that's not that's not the best move when it comes to uh, to skin tones because nobody wants to look green. <laughs> no, it's the worst. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. the worst, isn't it? And Make yeah, everyone... okay, it, you can adjust a lot of that stuff, right? But yeah. um, uh, you know, and it's it's funny because when you compare, because I've seen some comparison comparisons of. Sony footage versus like the C70 um, type footage as well. And same shot, same, everything else you can imagine is the same. It's close as you can get it. And you look at them, you go, well, now I don't like either of them because that looks too pink and that looks too green. I want something right in the middle. (laughs) And that's when you switch to Fuji. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, cool. I mean, you know, Two new cameras to play with. It's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a bummer, really, that you know we're all stuck in the house. We can't really go oh, out and, uh, and put it to the paces. I know. The, uh, a couple of other quick things just about the C70 are worth worth noting. Um, and one thing that surprised me, although it probably shouldn't have, but it did surprise me. So I've always um, shot when filming the audio goes to an external recorder. Um, generally, it's been the Zoom H6. Okay. Always sounded really good. Always sounded really good. I tried out. This has um, mini XLR inputs, and you can you can do four channels of um, audio at the same time. Um, so I tried out the XLR inputs on 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 the camera itself, and it sounds so much better than the the Zoom H6. It sounds because because I'm as you know I'm audio engineer as well, so I'm I'm used to hearing pr- different preamps and what they do to the sound and what's a good preamp versus a, a rubbish preamp. Mm. This sounds like a quality preamp. It's got the depth. It's got the roundness in the bottom. It's got that. Um, the best way I can describe it is um, a natural three D kind of sound to it, um, whereas. The H6 sounds great, but it sounds flatter. It sounds um, less polished. It doesn't have that lower end, low end that you really want there naturally. Mm. And I am, so now Zoom's gone. Well, I still use a Zoom for other stuff, but now I'm recording direct to camera. See, it's an interesting thing because um, I, 
watched something the other day on the Sony A7S 3 and you know with the with the Sony you can get this um this add-on thing that's uh slides into the the hot shoe and then it wirelessly connects to the um to the actual camera mm-hmm. um and what you've got is the like on camera microphone plus this thing that gives you a number of full XLR ports yep so that was actually the one thing that surprised me a little bit about the C70 that kind of went for the mini XLR ports rather than, because obviously, you know, full XLR is the standard when it comes to. I can tell you why, my my opinion why anyway, is for, for pure form factor. They are significantly smaller. So you just need an adapter. It's not not a big deal. Um, but the, the, the size of the C70, it's not like the C100, 200, 300 and whatnot, which are mm. deep and small. You know, fairly, you know, nat, probably as wide as a, a regular mirrorless, um, probably yeah. slightly wider. But the C70 is like a large mirrorless camera. That yeah. is, so it's pure form factor. I'm sure of it. Yeah, it's funny. This, you know, when, when I saw that for the first time, um, after you just gotten it, uh, it looks, when you, when you look at it from afar, it actually looks like a DSLR. Yeah. It's only when you hold it in your hand you realize it's it's actually considerably more substantial. I mean it's it's a bigger thing. It's yeah. got all the yeah. air vents and everything, you know, built in. Um but literally when you just look at it when it's on a table or something and you haven't got anything um to compare it to, you just think, Oh yeah, it's just it's just the same size as a as a regular, you know, stills camera. But you know. But I mean it's remarkable that they managed to kind of squeeze down stunning um the you know, the original C one hundred, whatever. Uh, or C200 form factor into this smaller body and managed to put many more features in the whole thing yeah, as well. Absolutely. And uh, if memory says, it's either the C200 or the C300. I can't, can't remember which right now, but that's the sensor that's in that. Yeah. So there are people tout the C70 because it's just come out and it's got a lower number that it's an entry-level cinema camera. Mm. And I just don't think that's true. From my experience so far, hmm. I've looked at, I've not had my hands on a C200 or 300, but from footage I've seen, this is producing as good, if not better in many cases, footage. It's got the same, most of the same features as those cameras as well. And it's, it's if you, I think the C300 is eight, nine, 10 grand pounds. Hmm. I think this is four and a half. Yeah, I mean, this this is this is where we're back back to the uh, bang for the buck. Yeah, and and, and this has it. This has it. Did I want to spend that? No, I didn't actually want to spend that amount this time. <laughs> yes, you did. But, oh yeah, yeah. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> but it just all made sense when you put all of it together with what I ended up choosing. It made yeah. the most sense. One day I may get a C three hundred or seven hundred, whatever. Yeah. But right now. For the foreseeable future, yeah. these will do everything I need them to do for as I can't see why they would never not. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, I, I remember when, you know, we were having these conversations when you were sort of umming and eyeing uh, as to what system to change to. Because I think the you made a decision to um, to move away from having two separate systems and going into, you know, one, you know, one brand, as it were, um, relatively early on. But then there was, you know, you were sort of trying to decide whether to go with Sony or Canon at the time. Mm. Uh, because obviously with Sony, Sony has some really good offerings on the table as well. There's the A7S III. Um, they've just brought out the FX3, or is that out already? I can't remember. 
I think it's coming out now. Um, I'm not sure, though, if if it's actually out. I've seen some reviewers have got them. Um, They're... Um, they're touting right. out the specs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah so Sony, yeah, yeah. Sony have the FX line, which is their their cinema camera line, basically. Um, and and of course, it, then you know, I think there's there's it's really the differences there are ultimately so small. I'm, I'm guessing that it really just boils down to your own personal aesthetics and what you like to look off better and all that kind of stuff, you know? That's it. That's absolutely it. Um, So, you know, part part of my consideration was when considering Sony was that the, it was the A1, right? I thought, well, I'm going to go, go, go to root Sony. I may as well go for their latest and Mm. greatest, you know? And then, you know, I thought, okay, well, what about video as well? That does video. Actually, I'd like to still like um, a second body at the same time. And then after weighing it up, going back and forth over many, many, many days and weeks, it <laughs> yeah, just months. made sense. The can- Canon just made the most sense for me to yeah. to put those two together. Um, you know, I didn't want Sony. You know, the, the the Sony cinema cameras. I didn't like the look of and what they were producing for me. For me, lots of people will for sure. Um, I, but I liked what the what Canon were doing a bit. It just, you know. it just it always brings us back to the same point is where you really can't go wrong um these days you can't you can't really buy a, a bad camera these days it just really depends on That's right what exactly it is that you need it for it's like a tool yeah you know totally man totally and people don't talk about this kind of stuff enough but do, do one of the things i love most about both of these is how good they feel in your hand <laughs> yeah they I don't know what what they've done or how they've managed it and how you can go about changing camera design mm. over so long a period. But they are, particularly the R6, it is mm. perfect in your hand in every way. It feels fantastic. Yeah. And the, the C70 is, is, is much the same. Obviously, it's a bit bigger. It's definitely heavier too, as you would imagine, with it being bigger. But it just you can hold it with one hand without any issues still. Do whatever you need to. You can vlog of it still if you needed mm. to. Yeah. Um, but feel, they feel really good in your hand, exactly what you want from uh, from camera. The downside is on these lenses, God, they're heavy. <laughs> yeah. They're that really heavy. I could, well, you know, we could talk specs forever and but that gets gets quite boring doesn't it but um i'll there's just have a bit of a couple other bits i will mention just because i think they're they're useful to know um on the c70 um one of their regular batteries even though they are expensive um lasts for um god i had to write it down because it just always shocks me uh lasts for da-da-da-da-da. 190 minutes. Oh, wow. Which is unreal, really, nuts. for a battery. Plus, you can run it directly from the mains too, mm. from the yeah, same charger, which is just fantastic. And you can get batteries which are double capacity too. Mm-hmm. So they'll last, you know, 380 minutes, um, one battery, which is just, they're very expensive. But it kind of pays off, right? You know, it's convenience more than anything else. Yeah, you could just change battery, right? But it's convenience that you're paying for. Um, but to be able to then run it off the mains as well is just fantastic. Um, one thing I will note, a problem that I ran into when running it off the mains, um, 
couple of weeks ago was that um so my sm7b that i use for my audio here for my, as my mic um has a it's called like a cloud lifter it's a different brand actually um cloud lifter because the output of these is so low you need something like that to boost the signal to go through the cable properly mm. so you've got a loud enough signal going into your preamp so uh to produce the lowest noise floor so you get less hiss if you don't have one of those you can still use it but you're going to get more hiss because you have to gain it up at the preamp mm. which which is just noisier so that's why you use one of those um, I put, I was running it on mains, but I decided for a change and remembered why I don't do this and why you don't do this is I, I put the cloud lifter at the camera end, not at the mic end. Didn't notice when I first did it, recorded an entire episode and I had loads of hum the entire way through and I tested it out all afterwards and it was what I suspected that this cloud lifter was boosting the signal the wrong end and it was boosting it at the end it was going into the preamp which mm. was near the uh, the mains input yeah. put it back don't use it not a single issue it was exclusively to do with that boosting it, the signal at the wrong end so when you see you know those who might use an sm7b if you're using a, a cloud lifter to boost the gain make sure it's at your mic end <laughs> not anywhere else that's where they're supposed <laughs> to be you think about it's got a low signal, it's degrading, it's degrading, it's degrading. Oh, and then I'm going to boost it. It's not going to work as well. So how many how many podcasters are going to be out there who are using a C70 <laughs> to film the podcast? I'm not sure. Yeah, none. <laughs> <laughs> this, is more like, this is more like a, a note to self. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Very true. Very, very true. Oh, dear. Oh, <laughs> Oh, so here's a downside of both of them. Right. Downside. If you, you, both of, let's take the RCX as the example. It's got in-body stabilization and then you've got stabilization on your lenses as well. Mm. You cannot use one or the other. Oh, really? Oh. You have to use both or none at all. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Canon, explain that to me. If someone out there can explain me, explain to me why that's the case and why there's a, technical limitation in that perhaps mm. please let me know um but you have to so if you turn stabilization off on your lens it turns the body off too right. um if you've got a lens on that doesn't have stabilization on it i think you can still use the in-body stabilization without any issues yeah explain that to me mm. that seems weird i don't know if it's a canon thing or what but yeah okay so there was one other thing um, that's worth mentioning on the C70 is that it has um, push auto iris. Right. Which means if you're, let's say you're shooting outside following someone, if you would, and you're, let's just say you're, you are properly exposed and you go indoors, mm. your exposure is going to be all, all off, right? It's a nightmare. But what you can do is push auto iris and that will use the iris to adjust exposure correctly as you right. go through. And from my little experimentations on it so far, it does it smoothly rather than imagine you're on the front wheel changing the iris and it, yeah. do, 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 as, as it goes. Um, that's what it seems like, but mm. I, uh, don't quote me on that just yet. I need to use it a bit more to yeah. and get some footage back to make sure that that's actually the case. I think what we're building up here is, is a clear comparative test video between 
the R6 and the C70. I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, we can do that. I so, wouldn't be surprised if actually the footage that comes out of them both is compar- is similar. I don't yeah, see I mean, any reason a, why it wouldn't wouldn't be. There'll just be situations where the C70 will win mm, over it. Yeah. Mostly because it probably it, it's dynamic range more than anything else. Um but then it's it's all the other features that the C70 has that this this doesn't. But on pure exactly. raw footage, I suspect they'll probably be quite similar. Yeah, so that sounds like it sounds like a good good project um you know so if you're interested in seeing how the c70 performs versus dr6 or if you're maybe interested in uh, or if you're thinking about even um getting an r6 um then that might come in come in quite handy but before we do that we've got another challenge that we have to complete first now that's going to be an interesting one do we yeah oh <laughs> Oh yeah, that one I haven't done yet. <laughs> exactly that Damn. one. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. Yep, yep. That'll be uh, next week's episode, right? Yes. So a few episodes ago, we challenged Ivan Weiss for a selfie lockdown shootout challenge. Um, and if you want to know uh, how Nick and me fared against uh, against Ivan, you know, go back a few episodes and uh, and rewatch that. That was um, that was highly amusing and super interesting and actually a ton of fun to make these photographs yeah, yeah it was um for next week's episode we have um, another photo challenge coming up this time uh we've been challenged by dana dana did it uh for a, a five room challenge so yeah again i'm not going to give too much away about that uh mainly because I really have to work out how to do this yeah, <laughs> <laughs> next week. Do, yeah. So um, this is one that, that I'm finding particularly tricky, but um, you can, uh, you can, you know, come back next week and see how we, how we fare with that. Um, I think that really brings us to the end of this week's episode. And of course, if you've been listening to the audio version of this uh, podcast episode, then, you know, make sure you uh Give us a little star rating. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can scroll all the way down on the show page and leave us a little review. That would be super awesome. Um, likewise, head over to YouTube and you know, give us a little uh give us a follow or subscribe to our channel and um and enjoy our faces in full technicolor over there as well. But as I mentioned earlier, no matter where you're from or where you're listening from, uh get in touch, send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or by email, or you can now go to our brand new website, www.cameraschakepodcast.com and get in touch with us there. Uh, be super great and awesome to hear from you as always. But that is all for us this week. And we'll be back next week with episode 46. 46, can you believe it? Nine. All, almost half a century, <laughs> man. <laughs> Wicked. Right, we'll see you next time. Until then. Until then.